Look at the adjective. Play. Now is the franchise going to take the Viagra? Oh, going to put the butts in the seat. Hello there, wrestling fans, and welcome to episode 32 of Because WCW, the podcast where the big boys play. Thank you ever so much for taking the trouble to download us wherever you may be listening in the world. We are back after a little delay, and uh, I'm very pleased to welcome my esteemed co-host, Mr. Liam Hatt, back to the Because WCW fold. Liam, how are you doing, sir? Oh, I'll tell you what, Dean, at one stage I was wondering if I would ever get back here, but thankfully my laptop is fixed for now. Is this cursed laptop? Oh, my days. So, yeah, guys who've listened on previous episodes will know that we had a bit of an enforced leave around the holidays. Uh, it, it tends to happen. That It's happened the last two Christmases for various reasons. But, hey, uh, so whatever happened, my screen was broken. There was a massive run around to get it fixed. Finally got it back early February, and we started to hammer out the watch-alongs. We checked out Super Bowl Revenge, and all was well with the world because Dean and I were watching NAF WCW content and recording our thoughts again. And that's that's when we're at our happiest, isn't it, Mr. Ass? That's all we want in life, isn't it? Exactly. Happy as a pig in. Anyway, um, I I think it was right at the end of March. I've opened up my laptop that I'd left on the table very uh, inconspicuously. And the screen is, it's, it was almost like cracked screen was taking over like a virus. At first I noticed like, a, it was just like an the bottom L shape of the screen. And within five minutes, half the screen was was struggling. And I'd smelt a rat because, it, you know, it come back from repairs a month before. And I was like, oh crap, not this again. And the last thing, I might have mentioned something about this on the last one. Because I actually hooked up the broken screen laptop to my TV in the front room via HDMI cable to record that last watch along because we Dean and I thought well if this is going to be away for a while again let's just get another one in the can so that's what we did I got the uh, laptop back a few days ago it appears to be fine but as you can imagine from that story I just told I am just super paranoid I don't know how long this is going to last I don't know what if it's going to hold up or I don't know, but all we can do is just keep binging WCW until the laptop stops us again, I guess. <laughs> maybe, uh, maybe we can um, start a GoFundMe for uh, for a new laptop. You know, I mean, we've the wrestling community's uh, saved Kamala's house. I mean, your laptop's small change in comparison. Yeah, well, we can't get like one pound, two pound a month donations on Patreon after a year of being on Patreon. Oh, by the way, guys, we're on Patreon, so I doubt we can uh, have a whip round for a thousand pound Mac. Even if we ask Mr. Jericho nicely. Ah, oh, we could, I suppose. Yeah, you know, he'd love this podcast. Ah, oh, I'd love to get him on for an interview. Yeah, come on, Chris. I'm not, I mean, I'm not, I know he listens. He, 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 he's a, an avid listener to this podcast. You know? This is what yeah. he drinks his Jack to. Yeah, yeah. But uh, but other, other than having laptop problems, is, is all all good in your world? 
Yeah, it's not been. It's been the usual business. I'm I'm basically a, a father slash hermit, as as you may have heard from previous episodes, guys. I look after my daughter. I do a bit of work on the side, and I podcast WCW, and that's basically it. <laughs> you can you can right. see why I'm so distraught when the podcast in WCW is taken away from me for a few weeks. <laughs> it's a big chunk of your life. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, I I had um I had a. a disturbing realization this week or this weekend i should say uh i was out this weekend with friends celebrating my birthday my birthday's actually um well it's we're recording this on tuesday the 7th wednesday the 8th is, is my actual birthday and wednesday is like the worst day of the week to have a birthday no one everyone's working everyone's busy so it's like sod it just do it at the weekend and um i'm 43 uh come but but basically by the time you listen to this podcast i'll be 43 and uh, for the first time in my life i needed two days to recover from a big night out it's not gonna get any easier is it no but uh there is one curious to stop drinking like a lunatic i remember the story of you and me a regular guest on the podcast mr paul benson uh, setting up for the Hooked on Wrestling New Japan extravaganza. And what were you putting away the night before? Everything. Yeah, especially Ray. Was it Ray and Nephew Rum? There's definitely rum involved. There's usually rum involved. Basically, There's some cocktail ev- jugs. Yeah, ev- <laughs> everyone with a with a with a history of getting rat-assed in a Weatherspoons, which is most of the working class country. Uh, will be aware of Ray and Nephew at 63%. Uh, it's very potent. And yeah, that's what you were drinking with an 8am start for New Japan. Yeah, it's, it's Benson. He's a, the man's a lunatic. He's always, my other half says he's not a human. And um, and, and this weekend, because it's my birthday, people get buying me drinks. What can I say? Yeah, they do tend to do that on birthdays, don't they? Yeah. And it's always nasty drinks. Oh no! It was, it was it was nice drinks. It was just one of those. Don't mix your drinks; you'll be sick. Mix your drinks was sick. Moron. Yeah, I mean it's not like I've had plenty of you know plenty of experience with this kind of thing. <laughs> Listen up, slap nuts. That's right. This is Jeff Jarrett, the chosen one, and you're listening to because WCW. Now choke on that. Let's uh, let's move on. Let's move on. We are we are doing a live watch along now. In case you haven't, uh, if you haven't join us for one of these before welcome what we do is uh we go on to the wwe network which i have been wondering why the hell am i paying 10 pound a month for this and i've remembered it's because of these um yeah and um we would just press play and, and 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 talk basically so um if you want to do this with us then Basically, we've got through all the adverts and everything, and I've pressed pause, and I'm on zero 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 zero. So uh, yeah, we'll, we'll give you a little moment to uh, to get yourself there. And um, this this is episode number eight of Monday Nitro. This was broadcast on October the twenty third, nineteen ninety five, from what I guess is the WCW heartland of Huntsville, Alabama, hometown of beautiful Bobby Eaton. Oh yes, beautiful Bobby, and also it's the go home show for Halloween Havoc, which Indeed. after having a little skim of what happens on this show, without get, without spoiling too much, so I had a little skim, 
and it's really made me regret needing five weeks to get to this because this is going to be fucking glorious. Right. Liam, are you ready? I am ready. Listeners at home, I'm presuming you're ready because you, you can't say yes to me. Um, but here we go. So we are going to press play in five, four, three, two, one, go. And it's time for the burning buildings. It is time for the burning buildings. And uh, yeah, I, I won't make too many inappropriate comments about those this time. Oh, yeah. But yeah, so to, to try and just bridge the gap, because it's been a little while since the last one. Um, yeah, Halloween Havoc is on its way. It's Hogan versus the Giant. And for what has been for seven weeks, it's been a very watchable show. But we've also had to deal with Hulk Hogan and his midlife crisis. Yeah, I can't think of any other way to... He's having a midlife crisis. He hasn't turned heel yet. He's clearly... His, his star power is waning as Yellow and Red Hulkamania. And he doesn't know what to do about it other than slay more monsters. Yeah, but he's... He's, um, he's toying with the heel turn, shall we say. Yeah. He's, whilst, he's... whilst not wanting to lose that... That sweet, sweet merch money. He's smacking of desperation. And one of the reasons why is because WCW now has this man on our screen. Macho Man Randy Savage. And it's another gloriously nauseating outfit. Oh, man. That does look like someone in army fatigues has been eating fluorescent paint and is thrown up. Did you see the uh, Viceland documentary on Macho Man and Miss Elizabeth? I need to get into this Viceland wrestling stuff. I haven't yet. Yeah, it's, it's it's not bad. It's I've seen I've seen that one, the Bruiser Brody one, and the Von Eriks, and um, I, I'd say the Macho Man was was the least um, groundbreaking, but it was still pretty interesting. And here, here's Kurosawa, his opponent. So um, with Colonel Robert Parker, who just got pushed Robert on Parker. his ass. I have to say, the, these guys were in the ring while Macho Man got the full entrance, understandably, but. Her, have you ever seen a better already in the ring wrestling appearance than a relatively unknown Japanese wrestler doing like a wild man gimmick, it seems, with a um, a white southern plantation owning manager? It's just so it's cartoonish. A, you just see them show up in the ring. It's a strange, it's a strange combination. But um, Kurosawa, so this guy is is Manabu Nakanishi. He was a um, Olympian. He was in the '92 Olympics, uh, wrestling for Japan. Obviously, went back to New Japan. He's he's held the IWGP World Heavyweight Title. But this is another. This is just one of many many examples I think that we have seen throughout the eight the the decades of. American wrestling promotions not knowing what to do with Japanese wrestlers. Yes. Because here we go. He's got a martial arts gimmick. And you can see that he's not au fait with throwing those kicks like, you know, someone someone like a, a um, Nakamura or someone would be. Yeah, he's he's suitably cartoonish fodder for someone like the Macho Man, who I'm presuming he's going to do his uh, his famous semi-squash formula here, where he'll actually get beaten up for three quarters of this match, but he'll hit all his moves and then finish with the elbow. 
You would you would presume so. Classic it's... macho man. And to be honest, it's never it's never failed. It's it's never terrible to watch as long as it doesn't run more than yeah, four or five minutes. Because we had there there was a t- or was that Luger and Meng? Is it Savage and Meng or Luger and Meng on the Luger and Meng? That was Luger. a tough one because that went eleven minutes, didn't it? Yes. Well, most matches on I think the longest match on Nitro is generally about eight or nine minutes, isn't it? But yeah, I, I have a Luger Meng or that Benoit Guerrero match we watched on the last episode. They, they have yeah. to be the two contenders for longest match in its eight-week run so far. Benoit Guerrero was about eight minutes, I think. Was it Was it Benoit Guerrero, Benoit Malenko? What are the other? I think it was Benoit Guerrero. I could be wrong. It has been a month. Yes. But those, those kicks of Kurosawa's are kind of nowhere near the mark. He yeah he's really slowing it down as it looks like I could be wrong but generally you get the vibe that there's a little bit of communication between Macho Man the ref and and uh, guys his stage name escapes me he's just had it on the screen Kurosawa, <laughs> Kurosawa. who is like named a... after a Japanese movie director I think ah. isn't he well there was a little bit of kind of you know, like subtle communication as you see between the performers in the ring. And I think it was kind of step it up a bit. You're losing them sort of vibes. As I said, Savage does this all the time. He expects to be, uh, you know, he expects to have something to sell, not just a bunch of lame bloody kicks. Yeah. But this has been all cool from what I read Savage had got a knackered up elbow at this that elbow that's taped or taped up it was legit taped well, up they've yeah they've just started to incorporate that in uh, he did an over the shoulder arm snap which yeah. uh, to be fair looks lame but the reaction of the crowd and of Eric Bischoff kind of made it look like a big move so yeah that's what he, that's what a bandage will do I suppose yeah he's um he's um three He's three years into his career at this point. Yeah, and uh, he would be associated with New Japan from 96, so just a few months after this, to the present day. Although he has appeared in other Japanese promotions, because obviously he's he's not big cheese in NJPW at the moment. Yeah. I also got to say, this venue there in, in Huntsville, it kind of looks a bit low rent compared to the venues that WWF would be in at the time. That being said, the fact that they're still getting crowd reactions, you can hear the atmosphere. It's the opening contest, fair enough, but you know this is what WCW could and should have, and occasionally did play to is those Southern crowds from the NWA days dug a bit of it, even if mm. it was tepid. They want to get behind the Macho Man comeback. Hope spots now. This is this is classic Savage formula, but you'd have thought they'd have wrapped it on, on a 45 minute TV show. You'd have thought they'd have wrapped this up in about five minutes flat. Well, yeah, because like you said, we all know what's uh, we all know what's going to happen. Yeah. But Savage is definitely uh, not really. Um, he's not really putting the full the full. Um, Effort in as usual. No, it's, it's he's, he's he's hurting with that elbow. Yeah, and it is it is sell 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 hit the big spots. He's yeah. got uh 
Kurosawa out on the outside now, so I'm guessing we're uh, well, going to see the axe handle. Show. Yeah, well, Kurosawa's just accidentally kicked the ring post, so that, oh no, I was just I'm saying that might be the turning point. He's now gone back to attacking Savage. Yeah, really milking this. Obviously, we've got, uh, it's, it's going to be Savage and Luger in technically a babyface, babyface thing, although there's there's a little underlying uh, theme that one of them is, is going to be villainous, probably Luger. Oh, here oh, comes this, the elbow, this I think. Is, this is a huge... This is just a big old balls up. He's going to hit the elbow, yeah, with his good elbow. Gets the three count. So, basically, Kurosawa got run mouth first into the ropes, landed on his stomach, and then had to kind of adjust his body position so Savage could land the elbow. There was, as you said there, Liam, definitely a miscommunication. That one went nine minutes, by the way, that match in total. Wow. And it was... Yeah, they didn't... Let's say they didn't gel particularly well, did they? I would say that is textbook how not to do the Randy Savage formula. As described earlier, the whole heel, heel gets most of the offense, but then eats the big moves at the end, which is what he was most known for as a babyface Savage. But mm. that's gone too long. They screwed up spots. I'm pretty certain him and the ref had to tell him to, 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 to do more when he had heat, because as you said, he, he, he just let for in 60 seconds, he just landed a bunch of really lame looking kicks. And this this Alabama crowd is into a bit of wrestling. So it, it, it actually takes more effort to lose him than it does to keep him stringing along. Yes. So that was, that was a bad match. Oh, guess what though, Dean, the dungeon of Duma here. Yay. Pepe is here. Dressed in, um, basically, Mongo has got his dog Pepe dressed in a very similar outfit to what Mongo himself is wearing. Yeah, for for UK fans who are not actually watching along with us, if you remember the 1990s chain Mr. Byright, you'll remember the sort of denim jackets they used to sell. Mongo is wearing one of those. Oh, the lights have gone out. Well, it's not Sabu, although he could have been. He's on the roster at this moment. It's uh, is that Prince Ikea? <laughs> it's uh, King Curtis, isn't it? Yeah, King Curtis. Sorry, King Curtis. Play, Ikea, playing the Taskmaster's, I guess, higher power, greater power. Oh, so yeah. This uh, this Dungeon of Doom crap. Long after the Dungeon of Doom has really lost any sort of credibility as formidable challengers to Hogan and friends. If Did they, they had have any anyway. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and they're really desperately trying to create new monsters. Obviously the giant has what it takes and has a lot of potential, but we're about to be introduced to one of the great wrestle crap entries of all time. And it won't be until we do Halloween Havoc 95 as a pay-per-view that we'll see his greatest moment. But this is, the debut of the Yeti. Now, only in WCW, of course, can a Yeti be dressed as a mummy. <laughs> I mentioned this on uh, on our Twitter recently, but um, I, 
there's a, a car now. I can't remember what brand is. It's Skoda, I think. Uh, Skoda do a, a type of a model of car called the Yeti. And I was arranging to get a lift with someone, and they said, "Oh, I'm, I'll, I've got a new car. I've got a Skoda Yeti." And I opened my mouth, and I was literally just about to say, "Well, I know it's a Skoda Yeti because it's wrapped up in bandages." And then I remembered that it's only in WCW that a Yeti has fucking bandages, uh, and that they wouldn't have got the reference at all. Yeah, that would have been a massive whoosh. Yeah, <laughs> we've got to remember that most people don't. Or, or most people aren't sad enough to watch WCW like we do. Yeah. yeah, most people in life don't watch 1990s WCW. Yeah, And they're better off for it, I won't lie. <laughs> oh, come on, this is a joy to watch. So now we've got Kevin Sullivan the Giant are stood in front of the Yeti's ice casket, or whatever it is. Well, well, it's not Jean... been unveiled yet, it's almost gobbledygooker-esque, enhanced yeah. by the fact that Mean Gene's there. Well, mean, um, mean Gene and, the, and Kevin Sullivan are standing in front of the iceberg, and the giant is standing in front of Mean Gene and Kevin Sullivan to make him look even bigger. Which, let's face it, when you're standing next to Kevin Sullivan, you don't need any help to look bigger. It's a deft touch to really enhance it. I'll give him that. Yes. And Mean Gene's really selling it because the giant has now grabbed, rather than grabbing the mic off him, he's grabbed Mean Gene's arm and brought it up to him, and it looks like Mean Gene is like barely keeping his feet on the ground. So this is I get all these little these little deft touches I appreciate the fucking icicle atrocity behind them I do not appreciate. I also don't appreciate a boring Kevin Sullivan promo when he's not dressed as an old lady or an extra <laughs> on the cast of Baywatch. Yeah, like you said, there's so much potential of Kevin Sullivan's weekly disguise, yeah, didn't they? Kevin Sullivan, master of disguise. He could have been the innovator of the Sting mask as a disguise, which was done best by Sting, if you remember that in TNA. Yes, when Sting was disguised... Yeah, Sting disguised himself as Sting. People see that as, like, WrestleCrap Botchamania, but I just I thought it was a good little nudge. It was, it was like a little... It was a little inside baseball thing, wasn't it? I liked it. I keep saying this, but you can see why the giant got movie gigs, movie cameos. But also, like the giant is really, really selling big time, selling the gimmick, mm. whereas Sullivan doesn't seem to give a shit. Oh, well, you, you read the, uh, you know, you read the amazing Nitro book from Guy Evans, and you'll see, yeah, <laughs> it, it, it offers a lot of insight of Kevin Sullivan's. Uh, mentality at the time and some of the things we've covered here like just just the fact he basically gave Hogan what he wanted yeah he was checked out yeah it was a job so uh yeah we're building up to Halloween Havoc 95 this coming Sunday monster truck versus monster truck because that's what people want when they buy a wrestling pay-per-view and here comes the Slim Jim contract which I think uh, on Viceland they said was worth something like either four hundred or six hundred thousand dollars a year to WCW because that that advertising contract came with the Macho Man basically. I think Meltzer covered this before uh, the documentary came back, but yeah, that was the big kicker about losing Savage, and I think that's why Vince was so eager to to bench him. He didn't want to 
have him as a high-profile star, but he didn't want him leaving because it was notoriously acrimonious for reasons that didn't involve having sex with a underage girl. Not at all. Here comes Hogan, dressed all in black with a neck brace and, of course, no moustache. But the big crucifix around his neck still. And, and people are reacting to him. Well, I Not hope he does what he did to. last time in that neck brace. He'll try and do all his animated gesticulations as he cuts his promo. But while wearing a neck brace, it was hilarious last time. Please be hilarious this time. Yes. Here he, we he, go. He looks. He like hasn't he, disappointed. He looks like he's having a, a, an epileptic fit. He looks like a thunderbird. You know he, how they 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 make you know like a pup. The they make the <laughs> thunderbird puppets yes. where they move them, but they won't move quite totally because they're puppets. This is what he looks like. It's a thunder. Hogan is a thunderbird with a fused <laughs> neck, basically. Or if that reference is too dated for you, maybe uh, Team America World Police. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, the Watch same that. Thing. He yeah. looks like he's parodying himself in that film. He also looks like he's made of mahogany. Oh, I don't know what Starker... He's talking about the little Hulkamaniacs, though. Yeah. I don't know what Starker, the black he's wearing or his tan this week, That is a that tan is up there with the black clothes he's wearing. Yeah. And I thought he didn't like black. Different, Sorry. different kind. I can't re- I can't help it. Black gloves. Is that what I think it is? Oh fucking hell. Oh okay. So now Hogan's Hogan's now referencing Double murder. Everyone knows what a dude with black gloves and a black hat on his head can do. Oh my God! He's he, there's been some tasteless '95 Hogan promos, and that's up there. Unfortunately, he's also got rid of the neck brace, and now he's just doing his usual ridiculous movements rather than yeah. the Thunderbirds' ridiculous movements, which was much better. <laughs> So hold on, let's just rewind on this. He started the uh, promo by talking about, you know, little Hulkamaniacs training, saying their prayers and eating their vitamins. And he's now moved on to referencing OJ Simpson and an alleged, I must say for legal reasons, double murder that was committed. I mean, we've, we've, we've kind of veered off course here, Hulk. So Hogan's now claiming that he can't trust Sting, Luger, or Savage. He's—I mean, to be fair, this is this is '95, and we didn't yet have Stone Cold Steve Austin. I suppose we had Bad News Brown, but the, the whole the whole loner tweener thing hadn't really been explored that much. And to his credit, he's dabbling with it a little bit, but he just well, does it in such a ridiculous and two-dimensional way. Well, if you remember, WWF were doing a kind of tweener thing with Diesel, Kevin Nash at the time, when he was uh, he was the world champion. He, he I can't remember exactly what it was he said, but he was basically saying, you know, I'm not a good guy, I'm not a bad guy, and he'd be like bumping fists with people who would buy the black glove hashtag merch. 
and not other people. And it, he was he was a bit in between. It seemed to be working all right. And I think this uh, might be Hogan seeing that and trying to copy it, perhaps. Yeah, I mean, it's it's impossible to believe that he's being a trendsetter, Hogan. He's he's ripping someone off. But it's interesting that the best Shades of Grey stuff came after this. Um, yeah, uh, interesting. And Thunderbird Hogan will be appearing on WCW Saturday night as well. Underrated Nitro entrance theme alert. It's the Iceman, Dean Malenko. <laughs> and we got the Iceman come out and they show a shot of the ice of the Yeti. Yeti! Only Dean Malenko can release him. Okay, it's not technically true. Dean Malenko's far too vanilla midget for them to feature him in a storyline. Yeah. So here comes Malenko teaming with Chris Benoit, who I'm sure he's had a match against recently. Yeah, well, they, they'd feud on and off because they wouldn't be a proper team as horsemen for another three years. Mm. But throw them together because why not? Well, they're all in the same kind of cruiserweighty type division that they just sweep them all in and wrestle each other. Yep. Mm. It's a good job things aren't like that now. You know, the 205 live division is not like that. Oops. And now cue Eddie Guerrero's underrated babyface music. With Mr. JL and Alex Wright on crutches. So so for those diehard fans watching this who have a soft spot for the for the good performers between the ropes, this is a tag match featuring Benoit Malenko, Guerrero and Jerry Lynn. Yeah. Which is a pretty good fucking grab of talent in the mid-90s. Oh, yeah. And I guess the thing we've got Alex Wright out with, I guess that's because it should have been Alex Wright. Yes, and it was something actually that Dave Meltzer mentioned in the Observer of this week was that um, Alex Wright had legit injured himself in a match with Benoit. Benoit, who has a gimmick of the crippler, so of course they decide to not credit Chris Benoit with injuring Alex Wright to enhance the gimmick because that made far too much sense. A, a year after Paul Heyman, but you know, one of the great early decisions when ECW still find its feet was to turn that unfortunate injury to Sabu into the crippler. Yeah. Because Benoit, Malenko, Public Enemy, Sabu, Taz. They tore the house down in 95, just just as uh, the Tommy Dreamer Raven thing was starting to get its feet early doors. And then obviously it took over from there. Those six men were, were killing it. And the crippler angle was, was part of that. But yeah, they need to spend more time setting up Hulk Hogan facing a fucking mummy in ice. So Yeah. <laughs> and... Uh... Don't forget, you know, he might be referencing Hogan and I'm uh, referencing OJ and uh, double murder, but he is going to throw uh, the giant off the uh, roof of Cobo Hall. Yeah, he hate he hates his friends. He's going to throw another man off the hall of a great big building. He wants to be like OJ Simpson. He's going to bury the giant next to his dad. <laughs> but please cheer him. Don't boo him. Yes. Well, we had some uh, action flying outside the ring and there's been a miscommunication and Benoit has gone straight into uh, Malenko. But Eddie Guerrero has just launched Mr. JL across over the ropes into Benoit and Malenko. So the uh, 
I guess are they the baby faces, Eddie and JL and Ben yes. Malenko heels? Yeah, then the the baby faces are are on top. But the crowd are kind of just sitting on their hands a bit here. They're, they're popping for the dives and the big moves. They have yeah. just endured two really cartoonish promos, and and a cartoonish opener with yeah. the Matcha Man and the and Kurosawa and Rob Parker. As as good as these guys can all wrestle with any gear, you'd like to think they're good. They would have uh, appreciated that they need to start off hot just to get the fans back. And it's been a bit of a medium start of a few good moments. But the crowd, the crowd are still there for the taking. Yes. The bit faster like said, they the go, the more, the more they can get the fans back. I think. Yeah. Like a tilt the world spinning backbreaker that gets a big, a decent pop. Mm, bit of a... A muted response to a, a slightly botched high fly move from Mr. JL, yeah. who's clearly not used to wrestling in that weird mask. Oh, forget this match, though. We've got a fight. Yeah, never mind this shit. There's a fight backstage between Shark and Scott Norton, and there's the Zodiac in the background doing something. Meng. Meng. I think I saw Bunkhouse Buck. It's such a random group of bodies splitting them up. I'm not going to lie. Scott Norton versus John Tenter is the, is the match that I didn't realise I wanted to see. <laughs> give, give them five minutes, no more, no less, and just tell them to go and beat the shit out of each other. Beat the ever-loving shit out of each yeah. other, yeah. I'm up for that. They're, they're just about holding this match together with uh, JL... You can, and I've just said it, but you can really tell that Jerry Lynn is not used to wrestling in that restrictive mask because he keeps just quite his timings off. Yeah, and know, knowing just how slick he is, obviously he was never a super duper mega star or anything like that or larger than life. But anyone who's seen him at his peak performing, or even after his peak, to be fair, even early doors will know. Just how good he is in. The oh, ring. he was. And this is he was fantastic. I mean, he he wrestled off, you know, a lot a few years after this. He wrestled a good few uh, shows for the FWA and uh, absolutely was absolutely that. tremendous. Absolutely tremendous. Great bloke as well, and absolutely tremendous. I will say, he. Do you know what? Jerry Lynn will never be considered a, a draw in any massive sense. But you know what? I I kind of what because it was always down the road for me when they did. FWA Uprising 1 at York Hall. Uh, I, I, you know, I listened to TalkSport. I was aware of it. I was thinking about going, hearing that Jerry Lynn was going to be on the card, probably clinched the deal for me. So he yeah. drew me. Here you go. So uh, Malenko and Benoit have cut the ring in half for the old classic tag team strategy, and they're now singling out JL. He might be a little better just selling, taking moves, not having to do complicated sequences while figuring out how to look and breathe. <laughs> and I'll tell you something, Benoit just hit a, a back suplex that just looked absolutely tremendous because it looked like he was going to drop him straight on his head and he kind of just put him down on his shoulders at the very end. But the angle he got on it was just something else. Yeah, he always had that. It doesn't matter what type of suplex he does, he always had that vicious snap on it. It was brilliant. Mm. 
Yeah, it's definitely a, a super Liger vibe about Jerry Lynn dressed like this, isn't there? Mm. For those who remember Chris Jericho's ill-fated stint as a masked hybrid luchador in Japan. One match, wasn't it? I think so, yeah. It's one match, I think, on the January on the January fourth Tokyo Dome show. Kill that gimmick, he's shit. <laughs> oh, he could uh, he could bring it back as a disguise in New Japan. I don't know. I think the uh, Eddie Izzard cosplay is quite good that he's been using lately. <laughs> well, they're getting a bit of time for this. The crowd are starting to get into it a bit now. Look, we're getting them clapping and... Yeah, they they could have done a better job of, of really just bringing the crowd out of their slump, their, their 80s WWF-induced slumber. And they didn't really do that, but the, the, the fan, the, the, as I said from the start, this crowd are proving that they want to watch wrestling. They want to enjoy wrestling. And it's it's... Harder to lose that crowd than it is to to win them over, mm. which is amazing when WCW used to do it on a regular basis. <laughs> Benoit did a great uh, suplex where he hung JL out to dry over the ropes, and now big, big superplex. Yeah, but watching the chemistry between Benoit and Menenko, it's, it's a little surprise. I suppose there was a whole horseman thing with Benoit. They already had four guys, but otherwise, I'm sure they didn't have them tag up more sooner. I always remember some of the great matches they had in like 98, 99 as the horseman. One of my favourite all-time tag matches was with Raven and Saturn at Spring Stampede 99. Okay, JL's fighting back. Needs to make a tag. Flying elbow. Mm. Crispest thing he's hit all match. Yep. But this match just reminds me of why I, I loved watching Benoit at the time. It was just, everything he did was so smooth and crisp. He's now made the big tag to Eddie Guerrero. He gets cut off immediately with the boot to the guts from Milenko. But Eddie comes back. Drop kick for both of them. Yeah. Here you go. The crowd are really now into it. The crowd are loving the big hot tag from Eddie Guerrero. These two are just so slick together. Even the way way Milenko interrupted Guerrero coming in for the hot tag. And then he he rallied and knocked Dean down. Just everything about that was so fluid. Beautiful double head scissors on both of them. Now we've got all four men in the ring. I think I think there's more chance of Paul Benson missing an open bar than there is of these two missing a, a spot. Okay, so we now got JL and Malenko in the ring. Benoit and Guerrero outside on the floor. Alex Wright just tripped up Malenko. JL gets the victory roll. Eddie stops Benoit from getting in the ring to make the save. And basically, Alex Wright has won the match for the babyfaces. What a dirty, rotten scandal that so-called babyface Alex Wright is on the outside. That Hulkamania is infectious. (laughs) 
And that's, that's a big TV win for someone who's about to be cannon fodder for Sabu in six days and then shipped on out of the company. And it's a shame if, if one of the reasons they didn't bother with Mr. JL was, oh, Pillman, Brian Pillman cheap shot him. Where's Pillman Guerrero. come from? And he's now starting to... Why is Pillman attacking Guerrero? I thought he, him and uh, Arn Anderson were feuding with Ric Flair and Sting last I, I saw. Yeah, I've, so, Pillman being moved on to a new program. So, correct me if I'm wrong, but did Pillman and Guerrero not wrestle at Full Brawl the month prior? Or was that Alex Wright and Brian Pillman, maybe? I oh, can't this be. might be a tune in to the next Nitro to find out, Bill. Vulbrul, uh, no, Pillman wasn't on for, oh, Pillman was against Johnny B, Johnny B Bad. Johnny B Bad, okay. So, um, coming up next, we've got Sting and Lex Luger teaming up against Harlem Heat. And considering the way Sting a couple of weeks ago basically parented Luger into accepting a match with Randy Savage. Would it be fair to say that this is the, the, the this is the, the beginning, the roots of one of the greatest storylines in WCW history? The odd couple Sting Luger tag team. You you love that. That it's, is one of your favourite storylines, isn't it? It's brilliant. And any, any WCW diehard would agree with me. Uh... Before Vince Russo even had the chance to do the tag team partners who hate each other angle to death, uh, Sting and Lex Luger were subverting it. They would get on. They would win tag titles. But obviously Luger wasn't completely on the up and up until the New World Order came, which is understandable. Okay, so we've now got our main event. It is Harlem Heat, Steve Ray and Booker T with Sister Sherry giving it the big X, giving it the big X sign, which I'm presuming doesn't mean that they're all legitimately injured. She's also giving it the big cleavage. Look at that low cut. Yes. Well played. Well played. Instantly, um, as I always like to do, our comparison to Monday Night Raw. We this mat, this show is head to head with a um a live Monday Night Raw, which was coming from Canada the day after the awful In Your House 4 pay-per-view. Ooh. Uh, we had... Diesel uh, Owen... Bulldog, was that? Yep, Diesel Bulldog. Oh, and uh, Mabel and Yokozuna double counter. Mm. Uh, we had Owen Hart winning a battle royal to become the number one contender for the Intercontinental Championship. Um, we had uh, an Avatar squash match, and the main event saw Alundra Blaze beat Bertha Faye to win the WWF Women's Championship. Fair enough. Here's Sting and Luger. So I don't know if you noticed this during the Harlem Heat entrance, but there were six fans in the crowd, three behind three, and. They all had face paint on, and I'm not making yes. this up. Nothing, just just black face paint. The back three had a letter each, T-N-T, and the front three had WCW, 
which has to be the lamest fucking thing I've ever seen. Yeah, I thought at first it said tit WCW. I'm like, what? And there is, it's TNT. Jesus, that was bad. That's is... basically when you've got six mates and you're like, do we just both put WCW and no. That is taking an A4 piece of paper with a, a misspelt show of support for a Chelsea player sign to Stanford <laughs> Bridge Bad. Yeah. Oh, man. Now we've got the... Now, WCW have done this before, and it really annoys me. Sting is wearing red trunks with yellow trim, and or red tights with yellow trim, and Harlem Heat are wearing red tr- tights with yellow trim. And it just really annoys me. And uh, Sting's also got a bit of a goatee going on. And Hogan, while he was kind of semi-trashing his recent friends in that promo earlier, made mention about Sting trying to be him. I suppose the red and yellow is part of that. Ah. It's It was a weird thing they're trying to hint at. Maybe maybe just testing the water for a potential feud if Hogan was to go that way. This is all I can think of was that... He he wanted to see that if the latest attempt with the giant and the Yeti to be the uh, monster slaying good guy would fail, could he get away with it? And obviously he wasn't convinced until uh, what a week before Bash at the Beach '96. Mm. So this is the start of what would become a a low key tag team feud to enjoy. These two duos would go at it a few times over the next six to nine months, especially when Luger was being a heel when he wasn't with Sting. Mm. Yeah, of course, because they had that match um, at um, Uncensored, didn't they? Or was it was it Uncensored or something else? It was the Sting Chicago and Luger Street Harlem Fight, Beach. which was absolutely fascinating in storyline and absolutely farcical as an actual match to watch happen. Oh, yeah, it was about 23 minutes of pain, wasn't it? Just so dull. But the storyline of of um, basically the two the two good eggs of these two teams like kind of having to team up and then the two bad eggs, Stevie Ray and Lex Luger actually helping put the Road Warriors down at the end. There, there was a few things I liked about that, but just don't that actually... That was it. Sting and Booker TV, the Road Warriors. That was yeah. it. Yes, I remember now. Thank you. So basically, they, other than actual pay-per-view releases, WCW had like some best-of videos come out. I had a couple of them, and I had one that was uh, Best of Uncensored, and it had a clipped-down version of Sting and Booker versus the Road Warriors, where they got it down to about seven minutes. Right. Honestly, it's the way to watch that fucking match. <laughs> it's the only way to survive it. Mm. Now, um, the Yeti ended up being um, portrayed by Ron Reese, didn't was he? He was about seven foot tall and never did anything. Yeah. But from what I read, it was originally, the idea was they wanted to bring Giant Gonzalez, Eligante, back in, didn't they? But couldn't get him for whatever reason. Well, Hogan just wanted big, scary dudes to beat. Yeah. Because he... he guys that was outshining in performances. Yeah. Because, it, yeah, because this is the end of 95, and you got they try and get Giant Gonzalez in. Then a couple of months later, like February 96, you get Loch Ness, a.k.a. Giant Haystacks, who is like, 
well, builds at six foot eleven was about six six legit, but builds at six foot eleven and kind of forty five stone, which is about six hundred and fifty pounds. And that's that's legit because he was in the Guinness Book of Records for as one of Britain, I think Britain's heaviest man at one point. Yeah. And um, do you know why they never had the um, the cage match with him? We discussed this at the time. I discussed it because giant haystacks, Loch Ness couldn't fit through the door of the cage. Because at Uncensored 96, he ended up doing something else, didn't he? Yeah, Uncensored 96 was him and um, Giant in the Battle of the Giants match. Yeah. Sherry is kissing a Polaroid of her and um, Rob Parker. Which was still a thing at this time, wasn't it? Yes. That may have been full brawl, in fact, that the... uh... And, and let's face it, if it was Sherry looking at pictures on her phone, it wouldn't come across nearly as well in the modern time, modern day. No. You wouldn't be able to see what the fuck was going on. Oh, I'm sure they'd find a way. Yeah. <laughs> Have it put up on the big screen, a la um, Tyler Breeze. We should have me no, wondering no, why the fuck my phone is Bluetoothed up to the big screen. Yeah. It's not in my contract. They'd, uh, they'd just have her, uh, have her Twitter hacked or something. Everyone else is doing it. So this has been a decent enough formula match, but it's kind of drifted off at the moment while uh, <laughs> Stevie Ray and Luger have a snooze in the chin lock. Yep. Fans are into it, though. Tag Team Formula won't foul in Alabama. But but this is the thing as well. You look, you know, you've got four established stars, and you look at how the reactions they get compared to the reactions that the Benoit Malenko tag match got. Oh, we... and, and this is you know how how they're pushing. Yeah, you know, with with the exception of with the exception probably of DDP, they were never really able, and, and Goldberg, they were never able to create new stars too well, were they? Oh, he- he- heaven forbid. Bit Bischoff remains adamant that, or at least at the time as his stance, that, you know, the stars were the stars. But they don't realise that people, even the great Hulk Hogan and Roy Parker themselves, weren't born superstars. Hot tag to Sting, crowd of, uh, crowd are lit up. Oh, I was hoping for a stinger splash here. How can, how can Sting possibly run at someone in a corner and not do a stinger splash? Your there wish is command. There we what go. What a stinger tease splash. doing a clothesline in the corner first. He's a tease. Stinger splash on both of them. He's going and straight he's going, finish. Yeah. But... Stevie Ray was in the ring and able to kick Sting off. So that's interesting. On the, on the go, although I suppose they've still got other shows at this point. The technically the go home for Halloween Havoc and Luger and Savage are just doing their own thing in separate matches as babyfaces. Mm. And there's the fall. Sting gets the pin out of nowhere with the top rope clothesline. 
very abrupt finish. Oh, and here comes Kevin Sullivan and the Giant. And Luger is getting choke slammed. Yeah. Sting has got back in the ring to get choke slammed as well, which is very nice of him. Giant at this stage, still a little uncertain with those choke slams. Yeah, he got him up really well and then didn't quite know what to do with him. Here comes Savage. Savage is stalling for Hogan. Crowd are on their feet. Crowd are going apeshit. Here comes Hogan, all in black. And am I right in saying this is the first proper confrontation between them since he started this all black thing? And since he got the moustache shaved off. Yeah. So here we go. We've got this. We've got the standoff between them ahead of the pay-per-view. And look at this crowd. They're on their feet. They're going apeshit for this. To, to be clear, I think it's the way they've held off this confrontation since the Giants' initial attacks, more so than the ice fuckhead over on the other side or yes. any of that cartoonish shit. So, Giant just no-sold two punches of Hogan's and has knocked him down to the floor with a smack to the back. Hogan's now hulking up. Well, Giant is drawing at the camera. Now we're getting some more punches from Hogan. Giant is actually selling them. Into the turnbuckles. Here's Sullivan. Dungeon of Doom. And Savage back in. Why is but why is Giant selling for Hogan? Wouldn't why wouldn't you want him to so he could hold Dungeon Demon, but why wouldn't you want wouldn't you want Giant to be dominating Hogan to get the intrigue for the pay-per-view and the babyface in peril and stuff like One that? solitary moment of hope. I mean, I think they're overdoing it here, but yeah, you you have you have the Giant destroy him, but then on the go home you have you have Hogan show that he can that he can phase him, that he can daze him. I don't know, but yeah, or just not have them touch. Uh oh. We have apparently the floor is shaking. Ah, oh, the uh, yeah, it's the, happening, Dean. The gobbledygooker iceberg egg. Oh, and there's a oh, and we've gone off the air just like that. We've just gone off the air like that, and um, we saw something in bandages which makes no fucking sense because it's meant to be a yeti as we have established well it's annoying they went off air so fast after showing him because now i've got to get a good screenshot for this podcast <laughs> off of two <laughs> seconds or less because nothing else other, other than those six fans with the face paint on it which is not a bad shot it's either that or the yeti for for screenshot yeti yeti Indeed. Right, well, um, that brings us crashing to the end of episode eight of Monday Nitro. Uh, we will be back. So episode nine will be the aftermath of Halloween Havoc, I guess. Yes, with uh, Jimmy Hart showing his true colours, Yakety Yak, yeah. and Ric Flair as well, who weren't even on this show. It's weird how little lip service they paid to all the other major matches of the show, if you think about it. And I have to say one other thing. I don't know what you're thinking of this, Dean, but do you know what? I... F- I've got to say the streak ended at seven. 
<laughs> uh, I think I think that that was the first Nitro that just wasn't, and it wasn't terrible, but it wasn't that good. It was just there, wasn't it? Yeah, it's a shame because uh, you know you got three matches that should be good, and we documented why. But they, I think, in various to various degrees, they all fell short of what they could have achieved. And even when Hogan and the Giant, and let's face facts, the Giant was the the last hope of actually making Hogan's usual giant killing thing, pardon the pun, actually worth watching because he was very good at it and he turned out to be a decent wrestler for a while. Uh, while he was the last shot at it, just all of that cartoony shit with the Yeti just takes you out of it. Indeed, yeah. it's it, They're trying to move forward and yet going backwards with the 80s stuff at the same time. It's incredible. So if we if we go through this from the start, we go pass foul in every episode, in my opinion, seven passes and we just got our first foul. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Right. Well um we'll wrap it up there. Um that was episode thirty two. We 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 hope to be back very shortly with uh, episode thirty three and another guest. We've got a few people lined up, we just gotta uh, get all the uh, stars to align and whatnot. Laptops. Uh, Laptops to align. They have to build. align too. Um, but uh, also, you can catch me uh, commentating on uh, IPW UK. Um, go to facebook.com slash IPW UK or uh, look up IPW UK on Twitter uh, to get all the dates. Uh, we've got some great shows coming up through the spring. Until then, I guess uh, we shall sign off. So on behalf of my colleague Liam Hapless and Twisted Genius, Dean Ayers, saying thanks for listening, thanks for downloading, and we'll see you ringside.